We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Hello, friends. Welcome to Mavs Moneyball After Dark. This is Kirk Henderson and Josh Bow. We're joining you on Thursday, February 24th. It's about 9 o'clock as we're recording. Uh, it's been a weird, long snow day where there was no snow, but there was a lot of ice, so I hope everyone in the Dallas area stayed safe. Josh, how are you? I'm doing pretty good. How are you doing? Just same as you, just trying to survive working at home and, and parenting and with those <laughs> ice storms. <laughs> Wholly overrated experience, parenting and working at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, it's been the Mavericks kind of luck is a strong term here, but so the Mavericks don't play again until tomorrow night. And we've had a pretty lengthy break without actual basketball. And it's been it, it's been as close to recharging as I think it can be for both. You know, those of us who, you know, consume it all the time and then people who are just kind of watching casually and, you know, we're, we've been sort of revving up like today was last night was really like the first night with no real news because there's, I've been recording these, you know, 10 minute kind of just, Hey, this is what's going on in Mavs land. And like yesterday, yesterday there was nothing. Um, and it was actually kind of nice. And then today, Bobby Crawlup asked me to pop on his show um to talk about dirk and it was that was really fun um mm -hmm. i recommend that by the way uh what's that show called um i don't even know it's called the ceiling is the roof it's it's him and skin's show and mike marshall join, uh, uh, usually usually goes on with it but you know there's like it, it's been kind of a good solid break and i like i i was kind of annoyed that it came later but now that we're here i feel sort of primed for the stretch run they play 23 more games and that is is leads me to directly talk about something that you're you've been kind of noodling with for about three or four days. And now you're putting pen to paper. Um, and I just want to tee up the floor for you to kind of talk about what you're writing and what you're thinking at the moment. And then maybe I'll comment. Yeah. And when you listen to this, it'll it'll, it'll be on the site, you know, Friday morning um, as I'm writing this. Actually, you know, 
writing it this evening, putting the finishing touches on it. Uh, basically, I've been lo- I've been kind of looking at the Maverick now that the Mavericks have kind of established themselves as like the defense is real. Uh, I mean, if if it's going to slump, it's I mean, there's only 23 games left. There's only so far it could it could slump at this point. Mm-hmm. I mean, they've been I mean, they've more than proven themselves that the defense is real. Uh, which you know, now that I've accepted that and and bought into it. I've been kind of thinking, okay, what about the offense? Because, you know, I mean, the Mavericks want to contend for a title, you know, despite how young Luka Doncic still is. He's playing like a madman. And when you got a guy playing as good as he is and an MVP contender, you know, you always want to compete for a title. And usually the barometer is, you know, top 10 offense, top 10 defense, if you want to be a true finals contender. And, you know, clearly the Mavericks aren't there. So then I just kind of thought and took a step back and was like, okay, well, what about just winning a series? Because it feels like if you ask any analyst, if you ask us, if you ask people on the site, uh, our other writers on the site, any other podcasters, Dalton, Nick, Isaac, Matt, you know, whoever, uh, I think we all are in agreement that like winning a first round series is kind of a requirement at this point. And, mm-hmm. you know, that would be a major disappointment if they weren't able to get out of the first round again. doesn't really like, matter what seed. Right, like, right. If the, even, it, if they're, even if they're not favored. Right. It, it's just, it's just time, you know, it's fourth year of Luca three third year of him being an MVP caliber player. So I was like, okay, so I wonder, I was like, so the Mavericks offense still, you know, it's been better recently and I'll, I'm going to highlight that in the post, but for the season, according to cleaning the glass, it's 15th. And that still seems like kind of a low number for, you know, a playoff team that wants to win in advance in the playoffs. And I've been thinking like, it was kind of like just watching and thinking. And then I looked at the stats and it was kind of nice to be reaffirmed of what we're watching. But like, if you've been watching NBA playoff basketball, the last four to five to six years, you know, as important as defense is, and it's still very important to be a championship contender. It's I've always felt like the bad offensive teams in the playoffs are the ones that get bounced earliest. Um, Just the way the game is set up and the way the league kind of favors offense and the way, it seems to be easier to hide. It, it, it seems like now with, with coaching and scheming, it's easier to hide a bad, a good offensive player that's bad on defense than it is to hide a bad offensive player who's good on defense. Like it just seems mm-hmm. like we're seeing more and more bad offensive players, despite what they contribute on the end of the floor, just get exposed in the playoffs just with the way defenses are playing. Like, you know, you saw the the most extreme example was, you know, the Warriors, I think back in 2015 or, uh, or 2016, can't remember which season, but you know they basically did not guard Tony Allen in that playoff series right. against the Grizzlies. Like they literally left him wide open, and they, you know, they put Andrew Bogut on him, and Bogut was essentially a free safety. And that's been happening more and more often as we get into these playoff series. Teams are just if a guy can't shoot, teams are just more than willing to abandon him and, and double stars and, and make things miserable for for the better offensive players. So. That's a long-winded way of me saying, like, I wonder how the Mavericks' offensive rating right now stacks up to teams uh, teams that win, a, win at least one playoff series. So I went all the way back to 2011 because I feel like 2011, when the Mavericks won the title, is when the tide started to shift to the new, you know, space, pace and space, three-point yes. happy era. Yes. Um, so I went back to there, and I'll just, you know, not to spoil anything, but just uh-huh. going, going back to 2016, I'll just do 2016. 
Only four teams with an offensive rating, and this is all cleaning the glass. I looked this all up. They've got their archives all that go all the way back there. So just to be uh, transparent, only four teams have won a playoff series since 2016 with an offensive rating 15 or worse. Interesting. Uh, and you consider that every playoff, every year of the playoffs, eight teams advance. The fact that only four have advanced in the last five five years. That's not a good number uh, if you're looking at the, the Mavericks, you know, 15 offensive rating. And I'll, I'll, I'll name the teams off because I've got it up right now. But the last team to do it, 2020 playoffs, the Raptors, they were 16th on offense, but they were second in defense. Mm. Um, the 20, had, who did they have on their team that year, that Josh? Was still, that was Lowry and Pascal and OG and Anobi, uh, just, you know, Crazy long arm defenders. Okay, uh, sure. That was that was a year after Kawhi, I think. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry, Matt. So they didn't have Kawhi yet, but they still had you know Lowry and OG and you know bunch of bunch of long arm wings. So they're second on defense. The next time that happened again was the 2018 playoffs. The Celtics were 18th on offense, first in defense, and then also in the 2018 playoffs, it was the Utah Jazz, 16th on offense, second in defense. Uh, then you could scroll back, and the next one after that, uh, the last one in twenty, you know, from twenty sixteen on, it was the Atlanta Hawks. They were twenty second on offense, second in defense. So there's there's something you're noticing. The def- there it's a top one or two defense every single time one of these, you know, fifteen or below offenses advances in the playoffs. And I hope I'm not being like confusing and and you know putting a bunch of numbers. Eh. And, you know, no, whatever. this stuff is this stuff is worth being. Yeah, it, 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 if the Mavericks are to do anything this year, we we kind of need to have some more nerdy discussions as to the why they can or the why it will be difficult. Right, and currently the Mavs are fifteenth in offense, so there's still twenty three games left. And to their credit, in the last two weeks, they're eighth. So yeah. since the Kristaps trade, basically since Kristaps went bye bye. The offense is just reared back to full Luca. <coughs> Excuse me, more pick and roll. I think is uh, is you know our colleague is talk uh, for D Magazine wrote a really nice piece on what Luca has been doing in the last month or so to uh, put up these crazy scoring numbers. And you know it's it's a lot more pick and roll, a lot more pick and roll man uh, that's spreading the floor, a lot more dribble handoff, which I think me and you've talked about a bunch. Yep. Uh, he's so much better when he's getting the ball uh, with a head start. Um, so yeah, that's so it's it's trending in the right direction. I'm just saying it, that like if you're trying to f- watch for something in these final 23 games, just look at that number. Uh, you know, offensive rating uh, for the season. If it can creep above and get closer to 12, 11, 10, or maybe even 13. Just historically, the numbers favor the Mavericks so much better in terms of winning a playoff series. Uh, so, like, that's just kind of so I'm just kind of writing that. And I'm going to write, you know, get more in depth and detail in the post. No, it's real fun. Uh, but it's it's just interesting to me because it's like I, I'm not trying to be a downer, I'm not trying to say, hey, no. this, the Mavericks are going to lose in the first round. It's just like, hey, this is something to watch for. And historically, the trend is not great. Uh, even when you go back, you know, when you go back some more years, like in the 2012, 2013. Who would have thought the offense would be the problem? Right. I mean, it's just, and that's such a clear pivot line to the next thing I would like to discuss where 
our colleague and and everyone's favorite downer like i love that xavier has taken the the downer like title from me just so crisp and clearly <laughs> xavier wrote what he, he was a little nervous about it but i found it to be just a really delightfully straightforward piece on the dallas mavericks defense and you know as kind of a contrast to the offense they've made this this aspect of their team a real undeniable strength like we're 60 something you know we're close to 60 something games into the season the defense as they have played it is real and they've done enough like it's it's a aggressive scheme that's also aggressive with recovery and where kid really got torched his second year as as a bucks coach was their defense was just getting just destroyed on all recovery actions like it was so aggressive that that teams used it against them and so he he really broke down the piece is still on our side i recommend going to look at it it's called the dallas defense is very real he breaks down some actions and what they're doing against teams that really they're taking advantage of teams that are not mm, i don't want to say bad that's not the right word but it's just teams that are are structured in a way that the mavericks were really able to take advantage of them and you know, Bobby Corral and I were talking today about how difficult Dirk was to guard from basically the Carlisle era on because he had leveled up to the point to where Carlisle just placed him in the center of the floor and it broke every defense they played. Nobody really plays in the center of the floor now. Um, everything's either heliocentric or a different, you know, I get, the heater kind of different but so team so nobody's like operating out of like the high post like Dirk used to. And the way the Mavericks are schemed now, it's there's two or three guys at every element of the floor, and they're making ball handlers have have to make difficult decisions, and they're sort of grinding the game to a halt in a way that is uh, that teams are frankly struggling against. And it was just it was a fun post, you know. It's not like this this you know writing about defense for me. I'm, I'm curious to your, your response to this is requires watching the tape like two or three times it's hard for me to see stuff in game um and i just thought he did a nice job with this and if, if the mavericks are going to go anywhere depending on who they play the defense is is the key offense you know at least in the first round maybe beyond the first round it's a little bit different but but defense is seems it's been their bizarre calling card somehow um <laughs> And, and I'm, you know, what, so what do you, what do you think about my ramblings? No, no, you're, you're on the point there. And especially like man writing about defense, it's tough because defensive data is so all over the place. And, you know, you're good friends at part now. I mean, you guys have had discussions and he's talked about on podcasts and on his Twitter account, just how tough it is to put a metric to defense because there's so much that goes into defense that you can't really quantify with a number all the time. So you know, it is watching the tape over and over again. Uh, and you have to kind of know your stuff and, and really dig in. And, and sometimes it can be, that's why it's more difficult to write about because you don't necessarily always have a clean number that can that can prove your point. Because, uh, you know, I know you don't always want to do that when you write about offense, but especially with defense, you can, you can just kind of take things and, and you can be a little misleading if you're not careful. So, yeah, I really appreciate what Xavier did. Um, and, yeah, the defense... Uh, you know, with Dwight Powell and Maxi Kleba uh, on the back line, I know they've been starting small, but they're using their mobile bigs in a way that the Carlisle era just never did. I mean, how often did we watch Dwight Powell just play that extreme drop coverage 
and he would just give runways to opposing he was, guards. He was an usher to the rim. Yeah. He's like, hey, please score here. Yeah, and it's like, <laughs> well, what are you doing? Like, he's one of, you know, say what you will about Dwight Powell, but even after his Achilles injury, he can probably beat most bigs in a foot race. Like, he's a quick guy, especially laterally. And, you know, same thing for Maxi. So why not take advantage of that more? Why not play a little bit up on the pick and roll? Not all the way up like Kid used to do in uh, in Milwaukee, like not – hard blitzing traps but just maybe get a little closer to the three-point line get a little closer to the ball handler and then trust the rotations behind you because you know the mavericks have a lot of quick uh quick-footed uh players that can rotate you know whether it's mm-hmm. if it's pal making a rotation or maxi or dorian you know even josh green's been playing well reggie bullock's probably been the unsung hero you know he's anytime he's been on the floor it feels like the defense plays well uh you know and then that's what's made his you know recent injury uh you know, really hurtful, you know, just want to see the team at full strength, but they've got the buy-in and they've got the effort. And now it feels like they're playing smart, which I don't necessarily think that they were doing the last couple of years. And to be honest, I wonder how much of it was influenced by the fact that Dirk was on the roster for so long and they had to make so many concessions to play defense with him that they just kind of incorporate, like, it's like, Instead of trying to run two schemes, they're just like, well, let's make this simple and just one run scheme. And if we're going to run one scheme and Dirk's on the team and he's 37 years old, you got to play drop, like big time drop. There's no other way to do it. So with Dirk retiring and a new coaching staff approach, uh, it's it's worked wonders for what they're doing on the defensive end, I think. Yeah. And the only thing, and this is sort of, you know, just to get a little bit speculative, the thing that alarms me a little bit is that, you know, the Mavericks came into the year with like 13 centers and now they don't really have any bigs. Um, Boban's not going to play guys, but I'm sorry. He's just not going to play. There's a little bit of concern for me, you know, not to be a downer, but this is just sort of looking ahead. They're reliant right now upon Dwight Powell, Maxi Kleba and Dorian Finney Smith as sort of a three person, big man rotation, which means Dorian sort of slid into a, I don't want to call it a natural role, but it's worked. It's worked with what they've done. Some of the numbers with them, both on offense and defense with um, Dorian playing for are really interesting. That's, that's a different discussion, but <laughs> Powell and Maxi Kleba simply n- neither one can get hurt. Um, uh, not to put too fine a point on it. That's just sort of where my head is. Marquise Chris, hopefully his sore knee will be there, but the Mavericks depth at the back end of this big man rotation is a little bit concerning and I feel like the Mavericks really pushed to get you know they won six of seven coming into the break and now they have 23 games and they have a one and a half game lead ahead on the Nuggets they're behind the Jazz by one and a half games and so that sort of pivots into the next thing that I was like wanting to talk about with you is just looking ahead just so um and I'm not really it's it's just such an interesting way to go the rest of the year because it, it I'm going to be watching minutes more than I am wins and losses because if you can't get to the playoffs healthy, an aspect of this doesn't matter. Like as we're recording, John Morant has hurt his hip and he's still playing, but he's apparently looking pretty dogged. That sort of stuff just freaks me out. It, it just does because – you know, we all complain about Dwight Powell and Maxi to a certain degree incessantly, but 
you know what's what's worse than not having Dwight Powell and Mac or than or you know what's worse than Dwight Powell and Maxi Kleba not having Dwight Powell and Maxi Kleba. <laughs> like there's not a lot of other options, you know? No, no. I mean you can play like they said, you can play Dorian at the four, but you know, I appreciate what Marquise Chris has done to earn his roster spot, but and he has done some good things in his limited minutes but that's not someone you want to count on right uh to anchor your defense for an extended stretch like if uh, anything he's been helpful as like an offensive not yeah. terrible player like he's right. not a defensive guy right so they yeah they they the margin you know they cut willie collie stein and they traded Kristaps. so i mean not trying to say that those were those obviously weren't the wrong moves, but it you know they didn't do anything in the buyout market, uh, and they've kind of just they're going to roll the dice with this roster and see where it goes. And yep. you know, unfortunately, Maxi has had some injury issues the last two seasons. So, you know, I agree with you. Priority number one, like Maxi has to finish the season healthy because you know they don't really have someone you know. If Dor- Dorian's obviously, you know, kind of the heart and soul of this team, but in terms of like what he can do on the court, you know, thankfully they have a Reggie Bullock who's hurt, yep. but if he's healthy, like they have, like there's a contingency plan. If if something happened to Dorian, he missed the extended time. There's not really a contingency plan for Maxi. Like as Which you know, hilarious. Yeah, like as hel- helpful as Dwight is, they're they're not the same defensively. Obviously, it's just a bizarre scenario because yeah. we, you and I. <laughs> have collectively sort of pined for the time when they moved on from both of these players or really and, and to a certain degree even Dorian Finney-Smith mm-hmm. and yet here we are kind <laughs> of acknowledging their importance to the scheme it's really weird yeah I mean that's kind of you know if it weren't for the Kristaps trade maybe we'd be talking about it a little bit differently because we probably you know hey it, we got to get Kristaps healthy and Maxi, maybe Dorian, you don't, those kind of slide more under the radar, but he's gone now. So it's kind of, you know, what's left and, and what we have to focus on. Yeah. Well, coming right out of it, you know, the Mavericks yeah. play the Jazz <laughs> tomorrow night. Uh, that will be a tone setting game. The Mavericks play the Jazz three times over the next 23 games. And if they have any hope to want to clear, you know, I don't think this is likely, but it's within the realm. If they're to pass the Jazz and become the fourth seed in the West, they have to beat the Jazz. Like that's sort of, you know, I don't want to say that like, that winning tomorrow night is a must-win situation, but if they lose, it simply just makes it that much more difficult. And then behind them are the the Denver Nuggets, who are one and a half games back and and have a much easier schedule to finish things. So, you know, there's you and I came into the season, and one of the things that stuck with me and will stick with me for a while is you're just like, can we fast forward to the off season? or to the not off season to the postseason, and this season has been remarkably interesting um it's not always been fun because the first 20 games sucked and variety of reasons for that almost all of them point back to luca being out of shape sorry for people who disagree with that but facts are facts um and then the kids just working through some stuff and they figured it out in a way that i couldn't have predicted and like i've really I've not been bored. I don't want to sit here and act like this has been the most entertaining season of my life, but I've I've wanted to tune in to see what we're watching. And I'm really feeling like that as we head into like these March games, which is just not always the case. 
Yeah, and I, I think there's some renewed energy after the Kristaps trade. You want to see what Bertans and Dinwiddie can do, but even beyond them, because really they haven't. I mean, they played a couple of games. They haven't really done much uh, in those two games. Like you know, they've had they've had their possessions where they've made some nice plays, but you know, they haven't necessarily been game changing players. But it's just you know, it's different. We've been wondering if the roster was ever going to change. It's changed. Now we get to kind of see for an extended run, what this team looks like without kind of the burden of KP hanging over their head. Uh, and also, you know, the schedule coming into the all-star break was pretty, pretty soft. Mm-hmm. And this That's schedule, they won. yeah, but this, <laughs> like we're going to, there are a lot of measuring stick games in the next 23 games. I did the count where you were talking, I think 14 of these final 23 are against teams currently slotted in the playoffs, uh, which is a considerable difference than like you would say the last 20 games they played to go into the all-star break. I talked about this on one of my meandering like Mavs or Moneyball minute posts. There's a website called positive residuals, which build in um, uh, rest disadvantages to teams and travel disadvantages. The Mavs play 13 road games and they're not a terrible road team, but they also play like road games against good teams now. So it's just the there's an opportunity for things to go just sideways enough to drive Mavs fans crazy. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, right out the gate at Utah, at Golden State, at Lakers versus Golden State. I mean, I know Los <laughs> Angeles has kind of been a joke lately, but I mean, they're they're LeBron gonna be James desperate. Exists. Right. Like, like this is <laughs> Like that's four pretty that's a tough four game opening. And then they've got a, a road trip that includes at Boston. This is all in a row. God, at Boston, at so Brooklyn, crazy. at Philly, at Charlotte. That's uh, tough. Man. And then you come home and play Minnesota two out of the three, uh out of your next three. And then Utah after that. I mean, there's I mean, they've had some pockets recently where they'd play like two or three out of four against like some lottery bound teams. That doesn't really exist until the end of the schedule where they play Detroit, mm-hmm. Portland, and San Antonio to close the season. Before that, you know, at three out of four games up until that stretch are going to be like three, three of the four, three out of the four are going to be good. So yeah. it's, it. I mean, you know, it's, it's going to be difficult, but like, I'm, I'm excited because I want to learn, you know, these are the games that you learn things from. You know, it's beating, must watch TV. Be, beating the Pelicans by twenty five doesn't do anything for me. No, like it's fun, but let's let's really see what they got. Do here. you remember at the start of the year last year where they played the Lakers on like Christmas Day? Basically, yes. Luca looked like shit, yes. and I hated those kinds of games when Luca's looking bad. But when Luca's looking like this, like that Boston game on on Sunday, March thirteenth, Luca versus Tatum is must see. TV on ABC, the ABC game too. So there's, I mean, I guess that's kind of what I'm, I'm circling back on. And like, there's just been a lot of reasons to watch the Mavericks yeah. and it's beyond the Luca stuff. Like the Luca stuff is, is, you know, he's must see television. You want to, you want to watch him because he might put up 49 points in a game and then miss a whole bunch of free throws to not make 50. Um, It's incredible. I'm really looking forward to the back half of, of, of this, uh, of, of what we have going on here, but you know, past that, I think I'm going to go to bed early and, and try to attempt to rest up for tomorrow night's game. Do you got anything else before we get out of Dodge? No, let's do it. This has been fun. I like yeah. talking basketball with you. We do Me good too. at this. <laughs> um, 
Guys, it's been Kirk Henderson, Josh Bow of Mavs Moneyball. You should subscribe to our feed if you haven't. Uh, you should tell your friends, which clearly some of you have been because our uh, <laughs> subscription rates are positive. Uh, we really appreciate all the support, and we will talk with you guys tomorrow night after the Jazz game, and we will look forward to that. Everyone have a great end of your week. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.